Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark and I will be talking today about shedding the addict identity. Well, first we'll talk about taking it on, um, as so many people do, and then we're going to tell you how to get rid of it. We wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people learn how they can overcome addiction and move on with their lives. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly in private one-on-one classes. You can learn about all of our products at thefreedommodel.org or by calling us at 888-424-2626. Okay, so... As some of you may know, if you've listened to our other podcasts, Mark and I both took on the addict identity long before we uh, probably ever had a drink or a hit of a drug or anything um, because of the way we were raised. So I'm going to let Mark talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I, you know, when I was uh, just a little kid, my mom uh, was going to meetings and uh, she had, first of all, I'm the youngest of 12 uh, siblings, kids. And um, and she was never around. And I remember being a little kid, five years old, six years old, and I would say, "Where's mom going?" And they'd say, a "Meeting." And I I didn't know what that meant, you know. Um, and then as the years went on, I learned. I can remember these pivotal moments of learning about this concept of addiction and this concept of uh, alcoholism. And it was, and we had those little AA pamphlets strewn about the house. We had. Uh, the big book of AA was floating around, um, and we came from a party and household. So my mom had all all of a sudden become this crusader, <laughs> and and it, here's what's crazy. I remember my father, who is a very smart man. Uh, he said, "Well, it's a disease. We're at the kitchen table, and it's a disease. It's a disease." And I remember some people. I can't remember who it was. They were arguing the point. No, it's not. And I remember thinking. <laughs> There's no way it's a disease. It's, right, that it's, makes no sense. Yeah, that's just so f- stupid. And uh, so so he had taken that on, I think, because it destroyed their marriage. And it became oh, yeah. a, a reason that wasn't him, right? Yep. Um, and my father went through a lot of pain when my mom left. And she did. She left with a guy she met in AA and, and, and left us kids and... Um, and she always said, you know, even with leaving the kids and leaving her home and moving on with her life, she said her recovery had to come first. And it did. In her mind, it did. Yep. And it came before her children. And being the youngest kid, it, that was a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. But what it did was it told me that this recovery thing and that alcoholism must be a very serious condition. Now, ironically, I didn't even know my mom when she drank. I didn't. I had no recollection of it. I was too young. But already, the seeds of that whole model were being passed down to me, and this this concept that alcohol had powers, immense powers, right. to transform lives in a bad way and a good way. Right? Yes. That it was the most alluring drug ever, uh, and that it was a demon and a spirit. Yep. You know. Um, so either way, it, it, it took on a life of its own within me. And when I started to drink, I looked for that. I was yes. looking for that experience. Um, and I got that experience. The very first time I drank, I said, I'm an alcoholic. I knew. I was like, oh my God, the, the prophecy is true. I am going to be an alcoholic because I really like this. And I wondered to myself if I'd never had that background, if I ever would have cared that much about it. 
I think it would have right. been a novelty. You know? Right. You would have gone through a phase like so many people do. Yeah. You know, but you probably would have just gone through the phase and then moved out of it and been done with it. I think I would have too. I, you know, it's, I do remember my dad drinking very well. Um, and, and so not only did I have the experience of being told I would be an alcoholic if I ever drank, um, but I had seen the way alcohol played out in our family life and that it was, you know, everything. Alcohol was everything to my father and then... AA was everything to him. Yeah, isn't it funny how that pendulum swings from, mm-hmm. from you know, the drug to the anti-drug, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the truth of the matter was, I liked him better drinker. Now, he was scary as a drinker. He could be scary, but he could be a lot of fun, too. And he seemed to be a lot more personable and relaxed when he was drinking. And when he got sober, he just became more volatile. And unpredictable. When, when you know, drinking is so predictable. Like, yeah. the way things play out is so predictable. And uh, that so that was the part of it, I think, that my mother and the whole family, when he was sober, it was a lot more unpredictable. And he was around a lot less. You know, because just like your mother, you know, his recovery had to come first. Yeah. And um, But he became a crusader as well. I mean, he even gave me books to read. And like, <laughs> which, you know, everybody talks about Scientology. One of the books that he read in his early days of AA was Dianetics. Oh my God. You remember, <laughs> do you remember the ads for Dianetics? Yes. I don't know if they're still on cable, but holy cow. Have you ever seen, I just got to digress for, for entertainment value. Right. But have you, have you been watching, have you ever watched the Scientology channel? No, there's a channel. Yeah, we have it here here at the retreat on the cable. It's like added into our policy. It's like a rider on a Thanks. bad insurance policy. You know, it's like you get insurance for like you know malaria or something. Oh, you pay extra God. for it. But oh, God, yeah, it's it's bizarro. It's <laughs> well, just bizarro. He, I was like twelve, and he gives me this book, and he's like, "You gotta read this book." <laughs> I'm like, "Why?" So I started reading it because I was a reader. Yeah, and. Uh, I didn't, it was, the book was bizarre and I didn't understand it and I didn't understand why he wanted me to read it. And it was just, I was like, okay. (laughs) It's funny how, it's funny how when people get involved in AA, they, they do go down these strange paths, Yes, you know, like spiritual make-believe. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, he definitely did that. (laughs) I think there's a, I think there's a human a human desire. Think about this. Like I, when I think about if aliens were to come and visit our planet, I instantly think to myself, "Oh, that would be really cool and exciting, and maybe they would fix things." And you know, you instantly go to all the benefits that would happen. Right? It would yeah, be very, it'd be wonderful. It'd be new. And I think humans are always looking for that easier road. Because, oh yeah. Because life is. You're always looking for peace. You're looking for that place in the world where you don't have to worry about money you don't have to worry about your career you don't have to worry we're such worrying things you know oh, i know and um and alcohol and drugs provide the illusion that that you can have some relief and then you you get away from it and then you need something else to distract you mm-hmm. and then recovery becomes that distraction you know I, and listen my mom never wanted to be a mother 
It's so <laughs> obvious. It's so funny. Mine didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> it's so obvious to me now. Yeah. Um, and, and I get it. I'm 50 years old now, so I can understand having a different life. I can understand why she didn't want to have kids. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, but she used AA as her scapegoat. Yeah. As her, her way, way out. Yeah. It was. It was her way out of a marriage that she hated. Yeah. It was a way to not be with her children and have some mission in life that was hers. It was a way for her to have... She went from a German culture to an American culture and she realized, oh my God, I can I can have some control in my life. Yeah. Because my dad was a very controlling guy. Uh, is a controlling guy. Not a bad guy. Just, just that's... That's the culture he came well, from. Well, that's what he came from in a yeah. different time period. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Well, taking on... Let's talk about taking on the addict identity because I think I took it on young partly because of the way I was raised but partly because it kind of makes you special. Yeah. You, you feel like... I kind of used it as a license. Like the identity itself is a license to misbehave. Yeah. You know? Yes. So so right from go, I, you know, is when I started really partying hard, which was like senior year in high school. Um, I got drunk every time I drank. I mean, I had drank, I had dabbled from 12 on, but, but it was like 17 where, 16, 17, where I started drinking hardcore and I would just get totally hammered and act ridiculous and and I in the back of my mind I'm like well this is the way alcoholics act yeah you know and I know I'm gonna be one I'm, I mean I figured I'd had a good 15 years before I would actually have to stop but I I drank like I thought an alcoholic would drink right from the beginning and and it was and I kind of liked it I liked that I could do that well, it's not happenstance that you have addiction peak at age 25, right, yeah. with drinking, and then it goes down from there. Because you, when you're young, you get to behave and make those mistakes, mm-hmm. and it's tolerated. And But after 25, it's not tolerated that much, and then sort of society's rules start to take effect in your life, and you, you, have, to, you have checks and balances. You have to figure mm-hmm. shit out. And... Um, by 37, 38 years old, there's no reason to be behaving like you did when you were 18, being drunk all the time. Right. It just doesn't fit, especially when you have children and things like that going on. So, um, so, but, but here's the deal. If you hang on to that addict or alcoholic identity, that can just keep rolling. Yeah. Rolling. It's like you're rolling. staying in adolescence. Yeah. Yeah. I never like that this idea that they throw around that you don't emotionally grow once you start drinking. That's an extreme way of... That is extreme. Because uh, we, we've met a lot of people that are highly successful in every other area of their life. They just really like to get hammered. Yeah, they have very, very deep personal reasons for liking the mm-hmm. buzz. And a lot of times it's based in misinformation, but nonetheless, those beliefs drive their use, their preference. So I, I think that that when you... When you feel like the addict identity, if I was to say there was one crucial component to having, to taking on that self-image, it would be that I need it to be happy. Yeah. That I need a drug to be happy, a substance to be happy. Because if you feel a need for something like that, and and it's a basic human need, the, the need to be happy, right? And that's your only avenue to it. My God, you're going to drink like mad. That's for sure. And then it reinforces itself, you know? Yeah. And, and now here's what's so crazy, though. And I just wrote an article on this on the binge construct. 
when you binge hard, you end up stopping the binge when you're the most drunk. Because when you drink like that on a ripping binge, you're pickled by the end. You know, your blood yeah. alcohol level is skyrocketed. You've maintained, at least if you drink the way I did. And, and here you are at your most inebriated, your, your highest blood alcohol level, and then your mental capability to change that scenario, which means to get sober again, is still intact. Right. So people act as if in the, in the binge construct that they've lost control, they've, they've had all this pharmacological action on the brain happen, they can't make decisions, then they get totally shit-faced based on that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, when they get sick enough, they say, it's time to stop. And they do that with their mind. They make a choice. <laughs> so, so this idea that you have no control is, is actually disproven by your own experiences of stopping when you're the most shit-faced. Yeah. You know? And then you do. You stop. Because nobody drinks forever. Nobody does that. Everybody takes a break. Everybody takes a break. At some mm -hmm. point, you have two or three days there. I mean, you might have to take a break going into detox, um, but everybody does that. Everybody takes a break. I mean, you see these people that are regular, you know, frequent flyers and detoxes because they want to take a break. That's right. You know, they make that choice. And that's what I say. I'm like, if, if, you were tr if there was truly this class of people called addicts or alcoholics, they would never stop for any reason. That's right. You can't have it both ways. So this, this, and and Steve used the term drug taking zombie, right? We're not all substance taking zombies. Never, you know. Yep. Um. So we do stop, even in benders and and uh, binges, and we usually stop when we're at our worst. Mm -hmm. Ironically enough, the most quote unquote addicted. Yeah. So so anyway. Um, yeah, taking on the identity is this idea that I need the drug, that I'll need it to be happy. And um, and that there's something that you're damaged. That there's something that doesn't work in your brain like it works in other people. That you're just, you're this special class of person who, you know, whether you think a lot of people throw around the idea of the allergy to alcohol. What was that? Silkworth said yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and... And, you know, and that was, that's been debunked for a long time, but people still think that way. Like, you know, what, what do they say? Instant asshole, just add alcohol, yeah. <laughs> you know, that somehow alcohol goes into your body and it turns you into this. Right. Changes your impulse control. Yes. Yeah. All yeah. of these things. So, so it doesn't do any of those things. And so this is, our book kind of deconstructs the addict identity in chapters eight and nine. Um, in 10, really. And then um, and then it debunks all the specialness of substances in se chapters 17 through 20. So, so you really, if you want to shed the addict identity, and let me tell you something, if you believe, if you think in your mind there is a class of people, maybe you've been to AA, now you're leaving AA or something like that, but if you still think there's a class of people that can't, you know, use moderately, can't drink moderately, then the odds are pretty good you still have the addict identity. That's because right. if you think there's a class of people, there's a good chance you think you're one of them. Right. You know, um, you, it really is important. So I don't recommend anybody that thinks that way try moderation. Right. It, you know, if you think, oh, there's a class of people that can't, because almost everybody that says that goes to drink, they're self-fulfilling, 
fulfilling prophecy kicks in and then they they come back to the group and they write i had some drinks it went all haywire i must be one of these people that you know i so you have the addict identity that's right. you're one of those people that can't use moderately now i'm not saying that you should shed the addict identity so you can drink that's not the point the point is to shed the addict identity so you can move on with your life whether that means abstinence forever or not it doesn't really matter. So it's just good not to think that there's something wrong with you. That's right. That's right. I'm going to throw in something here that um, uh, has nothing to do with the topic. I, I just <laughs> I just thought of it. I just want to let everybody know that the reason Stephen's not with us over the last bunch of weeks is because he's concentrating on rewriting the book, getting the second edition complete, which takes sometimes months. And in the, in the past, it's taken us years to get everything right. Now, it won't be that long this time, but... It will be some time, and he, he needs to stay uh, sequestered to do that. So I just I just want to throw that out there for our listeners because people have asked, you know, where's Stephen been the last few years? And he's also, we're all working on it too, but he's doing the bulk of the work on the new edition. And we're also working to get an online program together um, where you will, it'll be a website. There'll be short video lessons um, and you'll be able to log on to the website and, uh, and you know, get be guided through the book yep. based on our video lessons. So that's another project that Steve is was working on and we're working on, but he's doing the bulk of it because he needs to get the new book done. So we're hoping we'll have that product available by the end of the first quarter next year. Yeah. So yep. that that's our goal. So, yes, that was good. I thought about that, too. I thought, people are going to be like, what the heck is Steve? <laughs> yeah. And we'll mention that on the Facebook Lives that we do as well. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, so here's the deal. You don't need a substance to solve human problems. Um, but if you believe that you do, you do. So this belief is what drives addiction and drives use. And we say that in every podcast, but it has to be said over and over and over yeah. again so people really understand there's only you inside you. There isn't you plus your sponsor plus, uh, you know, booze, which has a mind of its own working on your mind against you. And, you know, that's the way we talk about substances. That's the way we talk about recovery as if all these factors can come inside of you and then make decisions for you or guide you or support you into thinking differently. And here's the reality. You're gonna take the information you have and you're gonna decide what is best for you, whether that's you know, putting a needle in your arm and nodding out every day or whether it's not doing that. And uh, you get to make that choice. So, um, but it all comes down to, if you think, you're, think of yourself as an addict or an alcoholic, then that will be your reality. Well, I can remember early on when when I first went to AA and that all happened. Um, those first few months literally felt like there was two people in my my head, yeah. and one person that wanted to do you know I I I don't want to drink anymore. My life was total shit. I could see glimpses of my life being better not drinking but the whole aa thing was it made it sound like that i had to that it should be a struggle and so it was for me it was it was like this 
this fight going on in my brain. And I can remember, I like, after about three months, literally losing my mind of, you know, this devil angel thing going on. And, um, and I, I might've been you. I mean, somebody just said to me, it doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't have to be that hard. Just, just do what makes you happy. And, and all of a sudden it was like, it clicked. And I was like, Oh, I'm actually happier not drinking right now. Yeah. You know, yeah, like that's, that's... all of a sudden I'm like, it doesn't have to be hard. Like it really doesn't have to be hard because in every meeting, that's all I heard is how goddamn hard it was. Yeah. And, um, and the and... valiant fight, the yeah. valiant fight of recovery. Yeah. yeah. Five years sober. Yeah. It's, 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 and it's a struggle every day. And I'm like, I'm, Oh, hell no. <laughs> I'm an arm's length away from that first drink and then fucking Do you remember disaster. That meeting? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I almost. I almost ran. I was like, "This is my father's been doing this. This is insane." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're not an arm's length away from a drink. You're as far away as you want to be. By the way, there, there's probably ambient noise in this room. We're we're doing this at the retreat, and I got somebody above us walking on 200 year old wood floors. Um, <laughs> so hopefully you can't hear that. <laughs> or if you do hear it, that's what's going on. It's. <laughs> It's one of our guests in his bedroom. We we've changed offices, so we're no longer in uh, in our st- my office downstairs, which will become our studio. So we'll probably be doing them down there before too long. Yeah. So all right. So to wrap up the addict identity, um, how do you how did you get rid of it, Mark? I think that what I decided was first of all that. For me, alcohol wasn't that exciting anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And drugging wasn't that exciting. And the last night I was drinking, I can remember I was in this trailer out in the middle of nowhere on this public land reservoir. And I looked around the room and in the quietness of my mind, my drunken, miserable mind at the time, I looked at the people that were around me and I said, I don't like anybody that's in this trailer right now. I, what am I doing here? Why... And then I kind of looked around and I realized that I'd been hanging out with people I didn't like for probably two years and having dumb conversations that were drunk and drug-induced. And also, there probably wasn't a single person that was in my life at the time. There's probably two people, two good friends that I'd kind of ostracized at that point. But everybody else that was in my life was kind of my enemy. And everybody, if you're in that culture, that drug culture, the drug taking culture or the drug dealer culture, that kind of place, nobody's really your friend. You all act like you give a shit about each other, but there's no honor among thieves. So I just kind of had an out-of-body experience where I looked around and said, I hate my life. Like, I don't like any of this and I can't get drunk enough to make it good anymore. Yeah, that's the way I was too. Yeah, I mean, even if I were to... To black out, it wasn't enough because I'd wake up and I'd be in the same exact miserable place I was when I started. So for me, it was this realization that alcohol wasn't doing for me what I thought it did. For so long, it seemed like a solution. But no matter how drunk I got, there was no solution to this. And I wanted to move on. And then I got in the car accident and and that was my excuse to fucking leave, to never go back to that lifestyle. And it wasn't hard for me. It got hard when I went into treatment because well, that's what I was gonna say. I'm like, 
So you didn't shed the addict identity when you quit drinking, or maybe you did, but then did you take it back? That's exactly what happened. I did shed it. I did. I woke up in jail, right, after I crashed the car that night, and then and then got out of jail, detoxed myself, and walked out of that life into a new life. I was completely dedicated to changing my life. I never called an old friend again. I never... I never, I didn't call the old girlfriends. I didn't do any of that. I literally left my life. And uh, to, to, the, to the point to where when I had my 10-year high school reunion, people thought I had died. Wow. They, they didn't know, they didn't call me for the, for the reunion because they thought I was dead. And um, so my point is I really moved on. Then I was mandated into treatment. And that was 18 months of my life being told and indoctrinated right back into the model I grew up in that, yes, you are, this is not a freebie, Mark. You don't just walk right. away from this. Right, this is going to affect you the rest of your life. And I was like, I don't think so. You know, I'm, I really had a profound, natural aging out. I did what millions of people do a year, which is right. you just move on. You just can, you can move on. I, and it, it never occurred to me. And it wasn't until treatment hammered the daylights out of me with their propaganda that I took back on all those little voices of my mother, right. all those AA meetings I went to as an adolescent, all those sibling rehab visitation days, God. all the counselors and therapy I went to, and all those voices. And it was all the same shit I was hearing in treatment, and then I took it on again. And then it took many years, many years to undo that damage. Um, so I'm, I've gone through a waveform of this my whole life. Yeah. And then eventually I, I met Jaron. He helped me break back out. You know, right. So I was very lucky to not get trapped completely for the rest of my life. So that's why I do this podcast. That's why we do the retreat. That's why we do Freedom Model Private Instruction. That's why we wrote the Freedom Model. That's why we did all this for people so they don't have to go through the hell that you went through that I went through, that Stephen went through. They don't have to go on Suboxone for life. They don't have to do the methadone programs for life. They don't have to go to meetings for life. That's all the same stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. All the same it's narrative. all this idea that you're sick, you're damaged irreparably. And there needs to be an external force substance that, that props you up because you're a fragile, broken human being. And that's bullshit. Anybody, no matter how broken you feel, you can change how you feel with a thought. You can, yeah. because I've done it. I've been really, really broken and, I, and walked away from that and changed my life. And I, you know, and I have a theory. I, I say this to parents a lot where they'll talk about their, their child as if they're, um, you know, weak and weak-willed and, you know, fragile. And, I'm, and, and my answer is, you know, to live that lifestyle to live the substance-using lifestyle, the heavy daily, you know, going out to get, you know, steal, cop, whatever you have to do to get drugs. Um, you have to have a pretty strong will to do that. Um, so the last thing they are is weak. Um, they just, for the things they want, they're very committed um, and very strong. And so so that that's one of the common misconceptions. I wanted to go back and say something about you, when Mark talks about Jer, he met Jer, that's my dad. And so ironically, my father was the one who built the addict identity, who taught it to me from a young age. But he's also the one 
who kind of started all of this and how I could get out of it. Like he kind of came full circle um, as a researcher. You know, he took it on, he became a guru, he became very committed to the whole uh, alcoholic and helping alcoholics. And um, and then I kind of didn't have much to do with him between the ages of like 14 to like 21. Um, and and so by the time I, I you know, he kind of came back in my life or I went back into his life. Um, well, he tried to do an intervention with me. It's about six months before I got sober, which was a disaster. Um, and because uh, he knew that I was I was pretty crazy. And then my sister gave him some stories. Yeah, pretty bad ones. And um, but he at that time, he tried to explain it to me that I wasn't an alcoholic. And um, <laughs> our phones are buzzing. <laughs> he tried to explain it to me that I wasn't an alcoholic. And, and that, and I said, oh, so if I'm not an alcoholic, that means I can drink normally. And he goes, yeah, it does mean that. And I'm like, well, why don't you drink? Like I was trying to get him. He's like, well, I don't want to. He's like, you can, you can drink normally again when, when it, when you don't want to, when it doesn't matter to you. And I didn't understand that. It took me many years, um, to understand that. And, uh, and so that's. So, so he had figured it out, like from the time I was 10 to the time I was 22, 21, he had figured it out. And um, so my undoing the addict identity probably took, I don't know, it took 20 years at least. I know, I know. It took a long time. It's and really, it's so unfortunate that we didn't have somebody to just, yeah, at, just at once clarify it for us but there was no deprogramming no. anything there was no method nobody had done it yet we were well really... nobody was calling AA a cult at that point nobody had the balls to yeah people thought it I know, know people I know. thought it well, or they'd mention it they'd whip it out there but they'd never back it up with the data like we did yeah yeah well a lot of people too that would when you look at it the AA membership stays about what two million people and but millions of people are shipped in and out of it like are sent there tens of millions and and a lot of people would leave and it wouldn't be for them they wouldn't use that c word but you know that they were thinking it and they were like well it helps a lot of people but it just wasn't for me you know yeah, and yeah. it's like yes. it hurts a lot of people it that whole addict mentality hurts people yeah because it's not inherently true you know there are things that are inherent to a human being that are a part of our lives that you can't change for instance, you, you're always moving in the direction of what you believe will benefit you or your right. pursuit of happiness. That's what motivates human beings. That's inherent. That's true. That You can't change it. You're autonomous, right? Yeah. These are the three legs of the freedom model. You're autonomous. You have the ability to think for yourself and your autonomous mind makes you an independent thinker. Um, free will. That's inherent. That's the, the, But addiction isn't inherent. No. That's just a way of thinking. That's just something you believe. It's a belief. And in our culture, it's a religion. It really is. It's, it's wrapped up with all kinds of formal types of institutions like AA, like meeting structures, like therapy. That's, that's your church. Yeah. You know, your pastors is your guru, your sponsor, or your therapist. You know, these are the people that will heal you. Um, and they talk about it that way. That's a religion. Yeah. That's a religion. Well, and truthfully, I mean, if you look at the 12-step program, which basically all treatment is based on, you know, it's all about morality. It's about sinning. 
You know, there's no other, um, no other tr disease that is treated with prayer and, you know, Talking confession and, you know, trying to get rid of your character defects and all of those things. This is a, so it really is a religion. I mean, the whole, the whole thing. Yeah, it's faith healing. Yeah. It's faith healing. Yeah. That's all it is. You know, you can try that when you have cancer. I don't suggest it. Right, right. I, don't. I mean, certainly, I you know, I'm I am a fan of prayer. I you know, certainly I pray too. Yeah, it, it, you can pray for different things. Um, but but it's this is not drinking, liking intoxication, liking being high. That's not a moral issue. It's just a preference, and you decide whether you want it in your life or not. Yeah, yeah. So. For anyone out there, uh, we're, we're coming up on about 30 minutes. I um, just shed the addict identity. You know, if you haven't gotten our book, you can get our book. Go to thefreedommodel.org. Um, go to the books, our books tab and pick, pick the Freedom Model for Addictions and enter coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout. And um, That's if, FREEDOM100. The freedom, freedom and then 100. One word. FREEDOM100. Yep. And then... Uh, and really look at chapters specifically start with, you know, if you, if you don't want to read the whole book, cause it is a large book and I know it can be daunting to people. If you're, you know, you want, you may want to read the beginning where we debunk a lot of the addiction stuff. Chapter three is the quick answers. Um, but specifically the chapters about shedding the addict identity are, are, well, I would start with seven, seven's positive drive principle, then eight, nine, and 10. And you get to decide what identity you take on. You could just decide who you are um, and you have total, total control over your behavior at all times and you have a lot more control over your thoughts and preferences than you think. You can change them. So I think that's it for today, yes? Yes, it is. Are we done? We are. All right, thank you guys so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, or you want help breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our website, um, or both of our websites, thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net. Soberforever.net provides detailed information about our residential retreat, the St. Jude Retreat, which is open. We have a limited capacity, um, you know, through the end of the year and probably early next year based on COVID. Um, but, but we keep our guests very, very safe. You would have your own room, your own bathroom here um, if you wanted to come in and spend a couple weeks with us or a few weeks with us. So uh, thefreedommodel.org is our hub. It has a ton of free resources and information, including vid our videos, these podcasts, free eBooks and information about our at-home private instruction program. Digital editions of our program books, I already told you, they're available at our website. Um, enter Freedom 100 at checkout for the Freedom Model for Addictions and Family 100 for the Freedom Model for the Family. Paperback and Kindle versions are available for purchase on Amazon or one of the other online retailers. And if you have questions and you want to reach us, you can always call us at 888-424-2626, Mark, and I answer that phone, so you will always get one of us. Or you can email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. We have three Facebook groups we started for people to discuss their experiences breaking free from addiction and recovery. They are the Freedom Model Group, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. 
from everyone here at the Freedom Model. We wish you well until next time. All right, bye everyone.